everyone. I'm Bailey. I'm Drew. And I'm Lacey. And, and we're, we're sarcastic, sarcastic, so let's get sinister. say that i'm a mom too but i am a pet parent so Mm -hmm. but it is your day so thank you you can have this one thank let's talk about murders (laughs) i thought we would whatever well anyway just happy mother's day to like our moms oh like individually oh okay or do you want to do that at the end i just thought that our happy mother's day covered everybody but do we want to do it individually happy birthday oh. i just feel like it would make them feel special if we said happy, happy mother's, mother's day, day mom, mom. and then you said happy mother's day to your mom happy mother's day my mom oh. all right say happy mother's day to your your mother-in-law too oh happy it's mother's oh it's my first mother's year. day with a mother-in-law happy mother's day paula now I feel like I should say Happy Mother's Day, Cindy, so everybody knows who my mom is. Mm. Name drop. I'm so excited. Happy Mother's Day, Jan. Jan. Ditto. Love that <laughs> for you. All right, so I guess um, to celebrate Mother's Day, we've each come to the table with a case. Um, and we're calling this episode Murder... No, we're not. We're calling it Murderous Mothers. Ooh. So, um, Bailey, you're going to kick us off, I believe? Mm-hmm. And you've got a, a murderous mother? I do. Um, Lacey, do you have a murderous mother? I do. Mine is a... I feel like we're saying our moms are murderous. To be clear. <laughs> our cases. All right, so Bailey, you're going to start us off? Yeah. Um, right. I don't know about Lacey, but mine's also very dark. So we might be going, like, sh- different shades of light through this, Actually, too. Murder in itself is pretty dark. This is particularly, like, very dark. Alright. Okay. Um, Do you want to go last, then? Kind of, like, lead into it, or...? No, I think we should just, like, get this out of the way. Right. <laughs> it's just, uh, there's some trigger warnings for this, so this will be fun. Um, so, I know this is about the mother, but I like to always focus on the victim, so I'm going to start off with our tragic victim, um... Sylvia Marie Likens was born January 3rd, 1949. Um, She was the third out of five kids to her parents, Lester and Betty. Um, Lester and Betty worked in carnivals, and they were on the road often. They struggled to make ends meet for their family, Lester only having an eighth-grade education. Um, Her other siblings were uh, Diana and Daniel, who were the oldest and actually twins. Then Sylvia in the middle, and then Jenny and Benny, who were another set of twins. Okay. Hold on. What was the first set called? Uh, Diana and Daniel. Okay. And then the second set were Jenny and Benny? Yeah. <sighs> Which is, like, the cutest, like, twin. Is it? Oh, okay. That's a different feeling so. than I had about it. Oh. What did you have? I, I was about to say I hate when people do that shit. Oh. Because I feel like it's I mean, obnoxious, I, but cute too, sure. I like Jennifer and Benjamin. That's a cute combo. Jen and Ben? Yeah, but then when you shorten it, it's just silly. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, they're not, like, they don't live in the same house, so it's not going to have that, like, her. Anyway, we're going to move on. 
1965, Sylvia was 16. She loved roller skating and the Beatles. Classic. Um, she had long, wavy brown hair and a bright smile despite missing a front tooth due to an accident with one of her brothers. Um, her family nicknamed her Cookie. And actually, if you guys want to like look her up, she's really cute. What's her name? Um, Sylvia Likens. How do you spell like? Oh, never mind. I found it. Isn't she cute? I have an older photo. That's probably Gertrude. Oh, okay. She's our evil mother. Oh. I'm gonna get off my screen. Yeah. Oh. Isn't she cute? Yeah. Um, her younger sister, Jenny, had a limp due to polio, and this made Sylvia very protective of her. Um, so, 16, 1965, um... Betty, the mother, was in jail for shoplifting, and Lester decided to take up the car- at the carnival again, selling concessions. Um, Lester was unable to take his kids with him, so at least for the boys, I saw somewhere that he either brought them with him or he sent them to live with their grandparents. While Jenny and Sylvia needed to find a place to stay. Diana had been married at this point and wasn't able to take the girls in. Sylvia met Paula and Stephanie... Banaszewski in high school. Sylvia and Jenny spent one night at the Banaszewski home for a sleepover. The next day when Lester came to pick the girls up, he got a talking to the mother, Gertrude, um, about their situation, and Gertrude had agreed to take the girls in, receiving $20 a week for boarding and food, while Gertrude, while Lester left to work for the carnival. Lester left the girls in Gertrude's care without even inspecting the living conditions, which... So they were going to be with her for, like, a while, and it was, yeah. like, daily she was getting yes. them and then sending them back. Okay. Yep. Um, which we will talk about the living conditions in just a little bit. But we're going to focus on Gertrude right now, which Drew already looked at a photo of her, and she's not the prettiest woman. Right? Drew? I mean, she looked like an old lady. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Gertrude... Vanazuski was born Gertrude von Fossen? 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 She was born September 19th, 1929. She was the third of six children, um, and there isn't really a lot known about her childhood, except that she was extremely close to her father, not so much to her mother. Um, and unfortunately, at the age of 11, she watched her father die suddenly of a heart attack. Um, at 16... This is still Gertrude. Um, she dropped out of school and married an 18-year-old deputy, John Stephen Banaszewski, and that's where she changed her name. They had four kids together, but John had a bad temper and would beat her. But it took them 10 years till she, I guess, got up the courage to divorce him, and she was granted custody of their children. Just weeks after her divorce, she met and married a, um, another man. She, she remarried in weeks? Yeah. Okay. He, too, became abusive to her, and they divorced just after a few months. When a, and it also looked like he was tired of having her kids around, because uh, her and John had four kids, so it's a lot. A lot of kids that aren't yours. Uh, but don't worry, shortly after that failed marriage, Gertrude and John Gertrude and John rekindled their toxic relationship because, you know. Love is why, why not? not? Yeah. 
you know, I love you even when your fist goes into my face, but who cares? It's a fistful of love. <sighs> there it is. Um, this time, their marriage lasted seven years, and they had two more kids. Um, and this divorce happened in 1963. Then after that, she had an affair with a 22-year-old Dennis Lee Wright. Is it an affair? She's divorced? Um, I think it was just, like, more of, like, a love affair. Was he in- Oh. A fling. Like a fling. Gotcha. I didn't know. Maybe he was married or something. It, no. How old was he? He was 22. How old is she at this time? Um, it was- she's been married, what, three times? Yeah. Well, I mean, the last one. Three, but like two were for the same man. So do you really want to like count those? I know, but like, weren't how long were they together the first time? Ten years. Yeah, and then they were together seven years after that. So she's probably older. Yeah. (laughs) Older than twenty-two for sure. Cougar. So anyway, twenty-two-year-old Dennis and Gertrude uh, welcomed one son, Dennis Jr. And and they welcomed him in 1965. Dennis was also an asshole that abused her, um, and she suffered many miscarriages from his abuse. And then after Gertrude had Dennis Jr., Dennis Sr. decided to abandon them. It's um, a lot. She had her kids from the... She's got six other kids, right? Yeah. Were they living with her at this time? Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. What year was this? This was in 1965. Yeah, so was she working? Probably not. So he was meant to support the whole family? Um, John, the first husband, was paying child support. Oh. But still there. It's not a lot. And that's also like if he remembered, I'm pretty sure. Um, so she filed a paternity lawsuit against Dennis. Um, to get him to try, try to pay child support, but she never saw a penny. Um, so at this point, it's 1965, she's got seven kids of her own, and she took the girls in. She was described- Oh, I forgot about Sylvia. Yeah. And Jenny. And Jenny. Right. They took Sylvia and Jenny. So at this point, Gertrude was described as haggard, she was chain-smoking, and she was a single mom of seven living in squalor in Indianapolis. Also, fun fact, I there was an article that mentioned, like, how much her rent was. Do you want to guess how much her rent was in 1965? Living in squalor? Yeah. I don't know, $20? A little higher. $30? A little more higher. $50. $55. $55 a month? Yeah. Jealous. Mine's a little bit higher than that. So when she would, she'd occasionally receive the child support payments from John. Nice she him. also worked some odd jobs around town, like babysitting and like doing laundry for people. My gut says she's a really good babysitter. We're going to see. When Sylvie and Jenny joined the household, it was Gertrude. It was Paula, her oldest daughter, who was 17. Stephanie, who was 15. Her son, John, who was 12, Marie, who was 11, Shirley, who was 10, James, who was 11, and then Dennis Jr., the baby, who was about, like, 18 months old. It was also noticed that her health was very poor and she was chronically ill. She was also starting to get a receding hairline, sunken eyes, and an overall skeleton appearance. That's why she looked, like, so scary. Yeah. Grotesque. 
Another fun thing to take note of here, Paula, the 17-year-old at this time, also became pregnant. More babies are gonna... Yeah, from a fling with a middle-aged married man. Oh, no. Here's a fun fact, you guys. Babies solve all your problems. I mean... You don't know that because you don't have babies. Yeah. Take it from me. They solve everything. You seem stress-free and well-rested. It's the babies. (sighs) Mm Mm-hmm. So, going back to their living conditions and how Lester never, like, looked, probably went in, even in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't do a walkthrough? No. There was no stove or microwave in the home. There was also only enough beds for half the people in the house. Oh, good. They only kept bread and crackers in the pantry. Um, and Sylvia and Jenny ended up sharing a room with Marie, Shirley, and Jimmy. There was one mattress in the, on the floor in that room. And supposedly the children would take turns sleeping on it. So, first week, Jenny, Sylvia moved in. I'm problematic. Everything's going well. But Sylvia and Paula, the oldest daughter, began to butt some heads and having some issues. She and was then, pregnant and moody. You know. Um, then, when Lester's check hadn't arrived after the first week, Gertrude decided to scream at both the girls and beat them, whipping them with a leather belt, yelling, I took care of you two bitches for a week for nothing. Oh, sure. It was their fault that he yeah. hadn't paid her, so. Yeah. Um, not even, like, it's late in the mail or anything. Yeah, no. Uh, and, of course, the next day, the check, arri- the check arrived. Oh, awkward. Yeah. So, surely after that check arrived, their parents had come back to visit them, but neither of the girls mentioned anything about the beating. Mm. Um, Golly. Should. I'm gonna just give a slight trigger warning right now. We're gonna start going into some bad abuse. Um, so after parents visited and gone, Sylvia and Jenny were, uh, they had gone through the neighborhood gar- garbage? Trash? I don't I was about to say garbage. Yeah, make it a little fancy. Yeah. Try to elevate the squalor a little. <laughs> They didn't have food, not, but there was garbage. It's squalor. Um, they were collecting Coca-Cola bottles to sell back for money for candy. Super cute. Um, when they returned back to the house with candy, Gertrude accused them of stealing and lying when Sylvia tried explaining what they had done. Gertrude beat her on her bare butt with a paddle. And Gertrude's, like, two main weapons she liked to use was a thick leather belt. I believe it was, like, a policeman's belt, like, from John before he left. Um, And one of those fraternity paddles. It's, like, a very sturdy piece of wood. Sylvia soon became the sole object of Gertrude's rage and torture. She had once force-fed Sylvia a hot dog piled with condiments, and when Sylvia vomited it up, she was forced to re-eat the vomit. In another incident, Gertrude burned Sylvia's fingertips using matches and beat her with a belt after Sylvia pretty much had to steal this sweatsuit from school because it was a requirement. Um, And Gertrude pretty much told her, like, fuck off, we can't afford that. Um, So, you know, when... Gertrude has a weird, like, moral compass. She's like, don't steal... But let me beat the shit up. Yeah. Maybe it's a learned thing. It's gonna, um, it's gonna get weirder. Well, like, 
Yeah, all right. So, another thing that, I, I'd say this is probably the catalyst for what happens, is Gertrude at one point overheard Sylvia saying that she had once let a boy feel her up. Um, Gertrude then burst into a fit of anger, accusing Sylvia of being a prostitute and told the rest of the house that she was pregnant. Now, let's not forget... Her daughter's pregnant. Paul is pregnant. How well, Is she mistreating Paul while this is no. going on? Sure. Okay. How old was Paul Sylvia? Is, Sylvia was 15. Or 16. Sylvia was 16. Paul is 17. Um, oh, also... What? I was going to say, what was the age of consent at the time? Not enough to consent to a middle-aged married man. That was, that was Paula. baby daddy. Remember? No, I tuned that out. Oh. I was focused on something else, I guess. Paul's pregnant by a middle-aged married man. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're glad you're here. And also, you'll Paula, Gertrude didn't beat Sylvia alone. Paula helped. Oh. Also, the other kids in the house helped. And neighborhood kids. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. Did she just go outside and ring a bell and everybody's like, oh, time to beat Sylvia? It's a very weird... I, I don't understand. I... Yeah. So after... It's like a block party. Yeah. Um, how does that even... How do you even get people started on that? I, I imagine that someone was... Well, she probably easily got her own kids to. Yeah. But then she probably had, um, their friends were visiting, which I don't know why you would visit a shitty little house. Because you but... get to beat people up when you're there. There's reasons. Just oh, hold on. Okay, oh, okay. maybe we should shut up and let yeah, her tell Yeah, just story. let her tell us. So after that incident of being called a prostitute and saying that she was pregnant, Gertrude attacked Sylvia, kicking her, um, this is a trigger warning, kicking her in the crotch repeatedly. Afterwards... Sylvia had tried to sit down, but Paula threw her out of the chair, telling her she wasn't fit to sit in chairs. Um, Sylvia, at that point, could not sit without permission, and she also became a plaything for everyone in the house. Kids would beat her, push her downstairs, put out cigarettes on her, slamming her into walls, and rubbing salt into wounds. According to Jenny, Sylvia's sister, the day after Sylvia was kicked repeatedly, Jenny and Sylvia had told their classmates that they had seen Paula and Stephanie having sex with boys in exchange for money, as like kind of like a revenge thing. Coy Hubbard, I think his name is, was Stephanie's boyfriend at the time, discovered what they had said and went to the house to beat up Sylvia because... When a girl's talking shit about your girlfriend, of course, you have to the boy needs to go beat her up. Koi would continue making visits to abuse Sylvia, specifically practicing his judo on her. That's poor girl. At one point, Gertrude convinced Anna, who was 13, and Sylvia's bestie, that Sylvia was telling boys at school that her mother was a whore. Gertrude then directed Anna to violently attack her. Um, one of Paula's friends, Judy, was I told- I don't understand- I'm sorry, I just don't understand what Gertrude has against her. Like, what's the purpose here? And, I feel like she's not already planning on killing Sylvia, I could be wrong, but at some point her dad's gonna come for her. So, here's what I'm thinking. Maybe, maybe she's so frustrated with her own life that she's just taking it out on Sylvia, 
But then also Sylvia likes to stand up for her sister. So maybe like she was going to take it out on both the girls, but then Sylvia stood up for her, her sister and was like, don't touch her. And I'm, then that enraged Gertrude to I'm, the point where she's like, time to beat the shit out of you every single day. Isn't Sylvia showing up to school every day all like bruised and beat up and shit? Are there no adults that she's come into contact with this whole time who are like, wow, she looks like she's being abused. All the neighborhood kids are beating her up, but none of the neighborhood parents know what's going on? I I have things uh, about that. Again, well. yeah. we should shut yeah. up and let her tell us a story. I'm, just, I'm so frustrated. Judy, one of Paula's friends, was told that Sylvia spread rumors about her mother, um, and then the girls were pitted against each other in a fistfight. Um, Gertrude, at one point, also tried getting Jenny to abuse her sister. When she refused, Jenny would then get hit. The family made no attempt to hide the abuse. Other adults had seen Sylvia's battered appearance. Some na- neighbors even witnessed Paula abusing Sylvia, like, firsthand, um, punching and throwing things at her, but no one ever made a report. Um, there was, like, one incident where one child had, like, seen Sylvia's battered appearance, and the owner, the, not the owner, sorry, that clinic, my bad, um, the parent made a comment like, oh, well, she probably deserved it. Or, like, she probably, like, needed to be taught a lesson. Yeah, I feel like you're thinking, like, current atmosphere, but not the 60s. Um, and at a certain point, Sylvia just stopped. They stopped sending Sylvia to school. This is, believe it or not, it's gonna get darker. So, hold on, kids. Kids shouldn't be listening to our podcast. Hold on, (laughs) adults that have consented to listen to this. Um, John Jr., who was 12, had forced Sylvia to clean pretty much the youngest soiled diapers. Um, I'm gonna let your imaginations go from there. Um, she was also washed, in air quotes, if you can't see me, and scalding hot baths while Gertrude gave sermons on the evils of sexual immorality and Paula stomped on her vagina accusing her of being a child again Paula was pregnant yeah I feel like maybe Gertrude was frustrated with Paula being pregnant I think that was the thing and she was taking she saw Sylvia as a surrogate like she couldn't fit her own child projecting and also if we're gonna talk about like evils of sexual immorality Gertrude wasn't even married to the last man she had a child with. So, like, maybe look in the mirror. You you think the hypocrisy is the biggest I, problem I, here? Yeah. <laughs> to start. I'm frustrated by it. Um, so, very similar to, like, how they first went out to recycle Coke bottles, Jenny and Sylvia had done that again. Um, after returning... Why did... Huh. Can't they just leave? They had nowhere to go. Where would they go? I feel like anywhere is better than getting stomped on the vagina. Yeah. I don't know. I I was kind of thinking they kept her locked up, but it sounds like they had free will to leave. They, um, I don't want a victim blame. Just kidding. They, they lock her up eventually. Um, and I'm going to be sorry about this next part about this, because it's going to get worse. You keep saying that. Keep Just plow through. Okay, great. Um, so again, they went out to recycle old Coke bottles. After returning, Gertrude accused Sylvia of prostitution. 
She then forced her in the living room to strip naked in front of her sons and several neighbor neighborhood boys, threatening Sylvia with the beating of Jenny. Um, once naked, she was forced to insert an empty glass soda bottle into herself, um, and this was not just one occasion. After this, Sylvia became incontinent, and when she would wet the bed, Gertrude decided she was no longer to fit she was no longer fit to sleep upstairs and locked her in the basement. Without a toilet in the basement, Sylvia was forced to go on the floor and Gertrude started a bathing regimen at this time, which consisted of filling the bathtub with scalding water, um, binding her wrists and ankles, and then dunking her into that water. This supposedly would happen randomly, sometimes multiple times a day, sometimes once. Um, and then Paula being the amazing person she is, would rub salt all over Sylvia's body after pretty much burning her in boiling water. Um, the other children in the house started charging neighborhood kids and friends money to gawk at nude Sylvia and push her down the stairs to the basement. Um, she was also rarely fed at this point and mostly naked. Just to give everyone, like, a time frame, this happened over the course of, like, a few weeks and, like, a few months. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That escalated very quickly. Yeah. Jenny at one point tried to contact their older sister, uh, Diana, for help. But after hearing the stories Jenny was telling, she didn't believe her and thought she was just making up stories. Why not just double check? Right. She did. Oh, oh no. At one point, come for a visit. Uh, but Gertrude wouldn't allow her in the home. This caused uh, Diana to be concerned and call social services. Oh, I bet they did everything they could. Well, Gertrude was able to convince them that Sylvia was out of the house for being physically unclean and a prostitute. She also managed to fear Jenny into complying, and Jenny told them that Sylvia had run away. And did they, like, go in and check out the house? No, Gertrude just said she's not here. Well, and also, like, Sylvia was in the basement, so, like, it's, like, she's not here. To give another, like, insight to Paula's cruelty and how fucked up she was, at one point she broke her wrist while beating Sylvia, um, and then once the cast was placed, she just continued to hit Sylvia later on, too. And she just used the cast as a weapon? Yeah, you know. They're hard. Yeah. I think it says more that she broke her wrist while biting, beating her. Yeah. Yeah. So October 21st, in the same year, they had brought Sylvia upstairs and let her sleep in bed. Oh, how nice of them. Instructing her that if she could hold her bladder through the night, she could sleep upstairs again. Not really sure what triggered that thought, um, but um, when she did wet the bed, because... Incontinence. Yeah. Um, she was forced again to strip naked in front of the boys and again use a soda bottle on herself. Sylvia was then tied to a bed upstairs naked while Gertrude took a heated needle to her stomach. Mm. Carving slash burning um, the words, I'm a prostitute and proud, into her abdomen. Jesus. Gertrude started the phrase and then passed the needle off to a repeated abuser and neighborhood boy called Richard Hobbs, who was 15 at the time. Him, Paula, Shirley, and Marie finished the sentence while Sylvia was tied to the bed still. 
Fun thing, Hobbes needed help spelling the word prostitute, just to... It's a big word. ...give a little insight to how young he was and how dumb. He and Shirley also attempted to brand or carve an S into Sylvia's chest, um, but accidentally made a three because of how they were... Those are very similar. Yeah. Um, It was also, like, unclear the meaning behind what the S would have meant, like, if it had been, like, Slut or Sylvia or something. Just giving her a name tag. You know, you gotta mark them so you don't lose your slaves or torture or torture. bag, I think, is yeah. probably what it would be called. Because she's not really doing anything for that. Right. Other than just... Crying. ...being something for them to hit. True. Sylvia was getting weaker and weaker. Um, at one point, she even told her sister Jenny, um, I'm going to die, I can tell. On October 3rd, Gertrude also, like, knew that Sylvia was getting worse and worse and probably closer to death. So, out of kindness, I guess, she let her sleep upstairs in a bed. But then, the next day, she forced her to write a letter to her parents, which... I can read for you. It's to Mr. and Mrs. Likens. That's what I call my parents. Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night, and they said that they would pay pay me. I would give them something. So I got in the car, and they all got what they wanted. And when they got finished, they beat me and left sores on my face and all over my body. And they also put on my stomach, I am a prostitute and proud of it. I have done just about everything I could do just just to make Gertie mad and cause Gertie more money than she's got. I've torn up a new mattress and peed on it. I also cost Gertie doctor bills that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck with all of her and all her kids. She also didn't sign it and was instructed not to sign the letter. Um, shortly after this, Sylvia heard Gertrude and the kids talking about where they planned to dump Sylvia just to let her die. Um, It was talked about, like, taking her to the dump or, like, the woods and just leaving her. When Sylvia heard this, she made one final attempt to get away and she tried bolting for the door. But unfortunately, she was so weak that she was easily caught and um, Gertrude had, like, tried calming her down, offering her toast, but... Sylvia, for some reason, was unable to swallow or eat anything. Coy Herbert, which was... uh, who The boyfriend? Yeah, Stephanie's boyfriend, assisted with Gertrude beating Sylvia with a curtain rod until she fell unconscious. The next day, October 24th, Gertrude went to beat Sylvia, because, you know, why not? It's hard to break habits. Yeah, and Coy was also there and helped her beat her unconscious with a broomstick. Again. The next day, um, the 25th, when Sylvia came to, she attempted to make banging noises in the basement to just alert anyone for help, and no one came, unfortunately. October 26th, Gertrude had Ricky Hobbs and Stephanie bring her upstairs for a bath. While she was in the bath, they noticed that she wasn't breathing, and they pulled her out and attempted CPR, which failed. Gertrude had the body moved to the basement and instructed Hobbs to go run to a payphone and call the police. That's weird. 
Well, it's nice that they wanted to notify somebody. I'm surprised yeah. that they didn't just go get rid of her somewhere. Because um, they were talking about that, dumping her. Yeah, I think because... They were probably not expecting her to die in that house. Yeah. Yeah. When the police arrived, Gertrude was selling the story that Sylvia had run away and returned injured, and then she was nursing her back to health. She even gave them the letter that Sylvia was forced to write. Jenny, being very brave and seizing her moment, whispered to one officer, get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Discovering Sylvia's body and seeing how battered she was, the and also hearing from Jenny, like, this is not good, they arrested Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, John, uh, Hobbs, and Hubbard, Hubbard for murder. And Who's Hubbard? Is that Coy? Yeah, that's the boyfriend. And they also arrested four other neighborhood boys for injury to a person. The coroner um, noticed that Sylvia's lips were practically chewed off. All of her fingernails were bent backward and broken and hundreds of wounds on her skin in all different stages of healing, suggesting ongoing trauma. During her autopsy, um, they found approximately 150 wounds on her body, including the carving on her stomach. She had a hole in her right wrist that went almost to the bone, likely from a lit cigarette, and her fingernails were broken. There were also over 100 burns on her body, ranging from second to third degree. She had bitten through her lips when she died, almost separating them from her face. She had severe muscle and nerve damage, as well as bruising all over her body. Her vaginal canal was nearly swollen shut. She suffered a subdermal hematoma to her right temple, causing brain swelling, and she went into shock and was also severely malnourished. The trial... (laughs) Um, I love that noisy man. feel really good about what I'm going to hear next. Uh, So Gertrude, her children, Hobbs, and... Hubbard, the boyfriend, were held without bail pending the trials. The charges against the four neighborhood boys were dismissed. Um, Those were the ones that were just, like, charged with, like, injury to a person. Mm -hmm. Um, The state of Indiana versus Gertrude, Paula, John... uh, I forgot how to say their last name. Excuse me. Van is... Janiszewski, I think. Um, Richard Hobbs and Coy started in May 1966. Stephanie, for some reason, um, her lawyer got her a separate trial. So, good for her. She didn't want to go down with the boat. You know. Um, The prosecution sought the death penalty for all involved. Paula's time in court was interrupted because she was rushed to the hospital to give birth. I was going to say, she's probably going to have to go into labor soon. The cases were also uh, elongated by the fact that, like, Gertrude and all the kids had different lawyers, and they were trying to pin it on the others. Nobody's actually responsible for their own actions. Did Paula have the baby? She did. Do we know anything about the baby? I'll get to that. Okay, because I feel like the amount of, like, evil activities that mom engaged in seeped into the baby that happens seepage i thought you were just gonna say the baby should have been taken away but 
Well, I agree. Yeah, probably taken away from We'll get her. there. But I'm just, like, concerned about the well-being of the baby. We will get there. Okay. Because you know how, like, you eat healthy food and it helps the baby? You smoke cigarettes and it hurts the baby. You, you drink, drink alcohol you, and it hurts the baby. You think abusing someone seeps into the baby, too? Probably not good for the psyche. Okay. Gertrude's lawyer tried putting the blame on the children, painting her as a weak, chronically ill, and incapable of preventing the, the abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, she tried pleading not guilty as the reason of insanity. That didn't work. Yeah. Gertrude also tried telling lies about Sylvia, saying that she is the neighborhood prostitute, getting with older married men. Hashtag um, her daughter. And she would start fights in the house. But, like, what if she was? You know what I mean? Like, that yeah. wouldn't be awesome, but, like, yeah. what if she was out there doing that? Does that mean, like, abuse her until she dies? Did the other lawyer say, and did your daughter become... <laughs> That's so ridiculous. She's Mother the, the Virgin Mary. And I would just don't start question us. pointing out the hypocrisy of her behavior. Gertrude also had her 11-year-old daughter, Marie, uh, try to back up all of her lies um, until Marie cracked under cross-examination, blurting out that, like, she lied and that she made it all up. Um, the autopsy report also backed up everything Jenny had told the police, um, Gertrude was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison with no death penalty. Paula was sentenced with second-degree murder and sentenced to life. Good. Um, Richard Hobbs, Coy... Hubbard. Hubbard, yeah, sorry. Um, and John Jr. were all convicted of manslaughter and given two to 21 years due to being minors. Two years. Yeah. Um, um, they were paroled just after two years. Mm-hmm. Um, Hobbs was released at 17, and the severity of his crimes caused him to suffer a nervous breakdown. Down. He began chain-smoking heavily, and by the time he was 21, he had died of lung cancer. Good. In 1971, Gertrude and Paula received a new trial. Gertrude again was found guilty. I'm not really sure the reasons why. Good. Um, but Paula took a plea deal, pleading guilty for a lesser charge of manslaughter and was sentenced two to 21 years. Why? I don't know. No, but I don't understand why they would offer her a plea. What did they gain? Right. It's not, I mean, they, apparently, maybe they, maybe didn't, they like, didn't think they would get her because it was a second trial, right? Yeah. Maybe they were worried that this time they wouldn't convict her. Was the evidence not as good? I don't, I don't know. know. Apparently, somebody thought not because um, they got a missed. Paula did spend eight years in jail. That's not <laughs> enough. Oh, that's not enough. Um, Gertrude spent twenty years in prison. She became a model prisoner and was kind of a den mother to younger oh, female f- inmates, f- earning the nickname "Mom." She was paroled in nineteen eighty-five with a lot of resistance. Jenny was still around, and with the help of two anti-crime groups, collected. 4,500 signatures to get Gertrude left in prison, but unfortunately she was still released. It's because that was before social media. Yeah. We could get more signatures yeah. today. During... Still though, but probably... Yeah. How many did they get? 4,400? 4,500. Still a lot of signatures. Yeah, they probably had to go do it without right. social they, media. And they also, I'm pretty sure it was just in, like, Indiana, too. Like, so if they went national and, like, people... I'm just saying, sometimes that doesn't, like... Yeah. Still probably wouldn't have done anything. But people suck. 
but fun thing, Gertrude, at her hearing for parole, um, stated, I'm not sure what role I had in it because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. Um, I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. Like, she doesn't remember. Okay. Or no, which is fun. Maybe if she didn't spend drugs or money on drugs, they'd have more beds. Yeah. I don't know if she was on drugs, though. I don't know if she was trying to make yeah. that, like, an excuse? excuse, because... Like, the first trial, she was like, I'm insane. Yeah. Yeah. And they overpowered me. And uh, now she's on drugs. Gertrude walked out of prison December 4th, 1985, and she moved to using Iowa drugs and changed her prison, name. And it affected her memory. Maybe that's what she meant. Maybe. Um, but in 1990, she died of lung cancer, so she can go to hell. Good. I hope it was um, dragged out. Paula moved to Iowa as well, changed her name, and became a teacher's aide. She should be around kids. Stephanie also became a school teacher and changed her name as well. I couldn't find anything about Stephanie's trial, so I don't know if she ever served time. Um... John Jr. How old was Stephanie at the time? Stephanie was 15, I think. Probably a sp- uh, like, sealed. Mm-hmm. Um, John Jr. changed his name and worked as a truck driver before becoming a real estate agent. And he married and had three kids. Um, if it seems weird that Paula was allowed to be around kids, don't worry. Okay. In 2012, she was suspended from her position when an anonymous caller tipped off the school district nice. and was Good. like hey do you know she who she is us? yeah she was attached to that so get her out of there um baby. oh my god if i was a parent i'd be yeah. livid do thorough background yeah guys. um baby denny or dennis the 18 month old and paula's daughter um who she was pregnant with at the time were adopted into new Families. Other families. Good. Hopefully doing much better. We don't know. Uh, no, they probably, I probably couldn't find any information on them, because they're probably, like, sealed, too. Yeah. Um. Probably changed their names, too. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny married and had children. She never blamed her parents for what happened. They just trusted an evil person, unfortunately. The house sat empty for decades until it was leveled and is now a church parking lot with a memorial dedicated to Sylvia's memory. And that is the awful story of Gertrude and Sylvia Likens. Really awful. Yeah. So is everybody still, are they still alive walking around in Iowa? Um, I think Paula, Stephanie, and John are. Oh, Gertie is dead? Gertie is dead. She died in 1990 of lung cancer. Bye. Um, cigarettes. And then Richard Hobbs, who helped, like, Carve. Yeah, I know who Richard Hobbs is because I feel like that last name sounds familiar to me. He he died, and then I don't know what happened to Stephanie's boyfriend at the time, but hopefully dead. Yeah. Also, his name's Coy, and that's Coy. dumb. So. Really weird name. Is it spelled like oh you're acting so coyly, or is it spelled like Coy? Coy it's spelled like C O Y. So she's so coy. Anyway, so that's that one. Uh, Drew, I think you're up next. Yeah, so I was going to do a better segue. Are you ready for my better segue? <laughs> yes, so ready. All right, so what year did Gertie die? 1990. Oh, M. G. That's a perfect segue into my story, which took place in 1990. Oh. The best segues announced that they're segues. So. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have announced it had Bailey paused and let me do- done my best segue. Mm. 
My story is about the pom-pom mom. Oh. That sounds like a cheerleader That mom. sounds more fun than I think it's going to be. It is about a cheerleader mom. It is. It's not like that sad. It's not like Bailey's horrific case. Yeah, nobody sorry. dies sorry. in my story. But, um. Is there a lot of cheering that I can do? No, there's a lot of roasting you can do. Uh, and please target your roasting towards Wanda Webb Holloway. Wanda. Fucking this Wanda. is her story. Okay. So, Wanda Webb Holloway was born in 1954. She lived in Channel View, Texas. And from what I, my research discovered, Channel View at the time was not a great place to live. Mm. Criminal attorney Mike Ramsey, who was born and raised in Channel View, Set, described it as this God created Channel View so the people of Pasadena would have some place to look down on. <laughs> Mostly white, resolutely, resolutely, resolute. I guess. I'm not sure what the rest of the sentence is. So. It looks like absolutely, <laughs> but instead of the ab, it's re. Resolutely. Resolutely working class. It was, even as late as the 70s, a Ku Klux Klan stronghold. Oh. In the 60s and 70s, when Wanda Holloway was coming of age, the high school students could be evenly divided between dopers and ropers. I... And from what I can tell... Is that drugs and cowboys? Hold on. I... (laughs) That would make more sense, because when I googled what a doper and a roper was... Yeah. They're the fucking same thing. Oh. What? Okay, tell us. Everyone's high. Oh. Oh. I like drugs versus Roper cowboys. is to Roper as house is to home. Interesting. Same fucking thing. Fun, fun. I'm sure it, like, was... Well. So Wando was desperate to escape this town. Well, sure. She believed that she was destined for greatness, but was stuck in this sucky place. Yeah. Same. She grew up on the south side, which was the rougher stretch of Channel View. Her father was a tester at a concrete plant, and her mother worked in the high school cafeteria. He wait. He, he was a tester. He tested the concrete. Concrete. Yeah, he was making sure nice and strong. <laughs> he slapped it and said, "That's some good concrete." How often are you changing <laughs> the recipe up for concrete? Every time the testers say that's not a good one. I like that he slapped it. <laughs> That's a good foundation right there. You don't want it to jiggle. No. Not when it's... No. (laughs) Keep going. I already like yours more than Bailey's. Yeah. Wanda felt people looked down on her from being from where she originated from. She's from the south side. Yeah. Yep. So, that... Okay, so Wanda felt people looked down on her was how her ex-husband... Tony Harper felt that she felt. Okay. Wanda's brother was not remembered as being exceptional. However, people described Wanda as being an overachiever. She took piano lessons and excelled at her business courses in high school. She wanted everybody to like her. She wanted to try out for the cheerleading squad or the drill team, but her father forbade it, saying the activities were an affront to his conservative religious beliefs. And the costumes were too skimpy and whorish. Mm. <laughs> he what should've... year was this? 50s. Well, he'd really have a hard time today. So they were showing their ankles. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and cool. probably like forearms. Mm. No, they could wear sweaters. Gross. Well, actually, no, this is California? 
Texas. Texas. Yeah. It's it cold in the Which is weird because like so, I feel like Texas is the state where cheerleading is like Woo. It's the best. I think you're thinking of football. No, cheerleading. Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Oh. Is there any other football team where everybody's obsessed with it? Like they have their own fucking they TV show. show. I know. Yeah, it's but really they're all kinds of stuff. Anyway. Hold on, I'm 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 googling cheerleading out uniforms in the thing. No, just think of Greece. Yep. You're showing ankle. Like, that's it. Like, it's not even... No, 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 They have their ankle socks on, and then just, like, below the knee to about mid-calf is visible, and then they're wearing sweaters down to their wrists, so I can see... But their necks are out, though, huh? No. They have collars. Well, what was her dad's problem? (laughs) I can see the skirt. Her hands. The skirt. Oh, oh, this one, their skirts are higher, but they're wearing mittens, so it's an even (laughs) trade. You know, I do the same thing. It, when I show more leg, I bundle you gotta up more cover up, up the top. Yeah. You gotta keep the ratio right. Continuing on, Wanda married Tony Harper at 18 years old and immediately gave up her education. Oh. Her husband wanted her to be a housewife and to start popping out babies. Wanda gave birth to her son in 1973, naming him Shane. Four years later, in 1977, she gave birth to Shana. It's a stupid thing again. <laughs> I can hate that. So I guess Wanda's favorite movie was entitled Shane. It was a 1953 Western drama. Were there dopers and ropers in it? I don't. It's a Western drama. I bet there were ropers then. Okay. What's a Cowboys. Wanda doted over her daughter. Shana was her whole world. Some speculated that Wanda was living vicariously through Shana. She had raised her to be a cheerleader. Of course. Yep, the one thing she wasn't allowed to do. Wanda and Tony divorced in 1980 when the children, when Shana was um, three and Shane was seven. Wanda got the house and most of the furnishing. Furnishings. (laughs) Not just the one, the one piece of furniture for the house. Just a lone chair. They took turns. One furnishing. It's just like Gertrude's house. You're gonna love what Tony got in the divorce. Ready? Tony got his water skis, his recliner, and his pickup truck. That's all. All the things. Those are the things he got. What else did, would he need? They. Like, I mean, there was only the one furnishing, so he got the furnishing. <laughs> Wanda then married an older, wealthier man living in Beaumont. Upgrading. Beaumont sounds fancier. Yeah, uppity. That marriage failed, so she (laughs) tried to rekindle things with Tony. Then she married another older, wealthier man from Channelview. Try, try again. Yep. Cindy Holloway. These, so far, I don't know about you, Lacey, in your case, but these mothers are really tearing through marriages. Yep. Well, mine was looking for something um, that could support her needs. No, the lifestyle she wanted to have. Yeah. Yours, I think, was just looking for someone who wouldn't hit her. She never found him. No. It's hard. C.D. is what his name is. Charles Denver? Maybe. Just sounds nice. (laughs) C.D. had his own oil field service company. Uh, He was rich. Mm -hmm. He was 20 years older than her. And together they made their home in Sterling Green, tiny subdivision by Channel View standards. They stayed in a modest tract home with pink burglar bars. 
cute, right? Uh, it's like Barbie's house in, in, like, the city. Yep. They did, have, however, convert their garage into a dance studio for Shayna. I mean, you've got to. So, Shayna attended Alice Johnson Junior High with Amber Heath. Okay. She's important. Okay. Amber Heath was the same age as Shayna, 14 years old at the time, and the daughter of Wanda's nemesis. Oh, no. Oh. Her high school nemesis? Or just, like, in her current life? I, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Talking. I'm sorry. We're not there yet. You're right. I'm excited. The Heaths lived only a block away from Wanda and her family. Shayna and Amber met in elementary school, and thus, Wanda met Verna, Heath's mother. That's not true. Amber's mother. <laughs> so they they met, everybody met in elementary school. Mm. So they've known each other for about 10 years at this point. Okay. Amber's mother, Verna, had been a twirling champion and was the daughter of a well-known twirling teacher. Oh, nice. Both Verna and Wanda spent, sent their daughters to Alpha Gymnastics Studio, a towering gym in Pasadena just across Spencer Highway from Gillies. Gilly! There, the girls could learn cheerleading from a t- from teachers certified by the National Cheerleading Association, mm-hmm. as well as tumbling and gymnastics. Skills that were... Well, I guess they still probably are demanded of cheerleaders. For what? Gymnastics, cheerleading, and tumbling. Yeah. Yeah. Both moms sent the girls to that studio, Mm -hmm. too. So they both had high hopes for their daughters. Based on what I read, it gives very dance mommy vibes. Mm. The show. Mm, Like, the moms, how they acted with each other. Like, they were friends, but then also, like... Awful people. (laughs) Let my daughter dance this number. Yes. And both moms were very well known at the studio. They were both known for going above and beyond for their daughters. Um, Amber actually had gone to Verna's grandmother's twirling studio since she was a small child. So she kind of had a leg up in the twirling business, especially because she was winning contests since she was three. By the seventh grade, Amber had become a yearbook, yearbook star having been named friendliest and most spirited. Shayna was an honor student, as was Amber, and was also popular and talented. Shayna was the vice president of the eighth grade, while Amber was the actual president. So they were like neck and neck. Yeah. I'm getting concerned for Amber. However, I would like to point out that they actually didn't compete for the same office. They ran for like... For what they got. Shayna ran for vice president. Amber wanted to be present. Okay, well, good for them then. They were competing in, like, every aspect of their lives. Okay. However, they, I think when they were in elementary school, they actually wanted to be friends. Oh. But, like, their moms set them up to compete with each other. Oh. So, like, they kind of grew up learning. Yeah. That's fun. That's a nice way to help your kids make friends. But, so, Wanda saw Amber as a threat. Mm. She wanted her daughter to be the best, and Amber was her chief competition. So she was very like, mommy's the only friend you need, sweet girl. You don't, don't worry about them. So it's healthy. Yes. They have a very good relationship. And, and this is Shana and her mother? Yes. Wanda and Shana. Uh-huh. Wanda made sure that Shana had private cheerleading lessons, a modeling contract at the local mall, and mother-daughter outfits that 
further blurred the distinction between Shanna's life and her own. Mm-hmm. Sounds healthy. You want to know what one of their matching outfits was? Please. Cheerleading outfit. Oh, of course. So cute, uh, right? I feel like Wanda would be like one of those mothers that's like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> not her sister. Not her sister. Oh, oh no, you're crazy. She's very, like, I imagine while Shayna was performing, she was like mean girls in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I can. So. In 1989, Shayna was scheduled to try out for the 7th grade cheerleading team at Channel Channel View's Public Junior High School. Wanda had planned for this event. She had pulled Shayna out of the school that she was currently going to, Channel View Christian School, which was a private elementary, and enrolled her in the Alice Johnson Junior High, which makes her eligible for the cheerleading team. Okay. What she hadn't foreseen was that Amber, who was who was still at the Channel View Christian Elementary School, would be one of Shayna's competitors. Mm-hmm. She was thinking that she would get away from Amber by going to a different school district kind of thing. So Verna had been planning to send Amber to Alice Johnson Junior High as soon as she hit seventh grade. She was planning on moving her over there anyway. And in doing so, she got special permission from the principal to let Amber try out for the cheerleading team. Mm. Cheerleading squad? Yeah. Squad. Squad. So then this is where it kind of gets a little confusing for me because I don't know exactly what they're talking about. (laughs) We'll do our best. There were three days during which campaigning was allowed. Okay. So I don't know if you're like voting cheerleaders one to the squad or what. But, like, Verna picked Amber up from the private school and drove her to the junior high to meet and greet with with other, with kids that she'll, future schoolmates, and, like, lobby, like a, like a, like a presidential candidate. Like, try and be like, hey, like, get her name out there. Yeah. I don't understand how cheerleading <laughs> I don't. I've never heard of that before, but I'm yeah. starting to believe you that Texas takes it a little bit more seriously than other places. Like your school has to vote you onto the squad. For example, Verna had flyers printed with peppermint candies attached, and like distributed. This them. is this is seventh grade, right? Yep. <laughs> so in response, because Wanda was like, "What?" Because. Remember, she moved school districts to try and avoid Am- to get away from Amber, and then she sees Amber like lobbying herself. So, in response, according to her late or her ex husband, Wanda was severely bent out of shape. <laughs> he said she couldn't be a cheerleader, but she could be a cheerleader's mom. So that's what she wanted to be. I think she needed some other kind of hobby. Yeah, something for her. So, yeah. less about her daughter. Or maybe just you some know other what? goal. I blame her first husband for making her quit her job and be a stay-at-home mom. Because she sounded like she had plans. Yeah, and he said stay home with the kids. And she was like, okay, but I'm only going to be about the kids now. And he's the only he's the only one that I could find coming out and saying shit about her. It's like... Yeah. You should have let her work, bud. <laughs> she yeah, I mean, crazy. honestly, if we want to go to the root of the problem, it's probably dad who wouldn't let her be a cheerleader. That's true. Wanda complained about Amber to the school board and she began pestering other parents urging them not to vote 
for the quote-unquote outsider. Imagine a mom going to other moms and being like, don't let your kids vote for that little girl. She's outsider. I hate her. She <sighs> even, like, threatened to get a lawyer. Okay. So She sounded like the first Karen before Karen's. Became- oh, 100%. She definitely would have been a Karen. Um, so on the cheerleading squad, there were two slots open. And you heard sluts? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Sorry, sluts. I was like sluts. <laughs> wow. There were two that sluts open. There were two positions open. There you go. <laughs> and three competitors. Okay. Amber won. Of course. Shana she did. did not. Oh, oh no. And I know you're probably thinking, Shayna probably took it really hard. However, Wanda was devastated. Well, sure. One school administrator said, had they not allowed Amber to try out, Shayna would have made it. So she really stood in the way. Yeah, Wanda felt so helpless, and she was so desperate, she felt her child had been cheated. So obviously she should probably go kill Amber now. What about the other girl? So that was seventh grade. Okay. In 1989. The next year, Wanda worked even harder to get Shayna elected. To be on the squad? (laughs) Drew, it's going to open so many doors for her. Okay? But elected. What is that? Drew's so hung up on that. It's weird. Months before the event, she called on her ex-husband, Tony, and told him that she wanted to create something special to guarantee victory for Shayna. In what would become known as the ruler incident, oh, God. <laughs> Tony came up with the idea of handing out wooden rulers and number two pencils printed with, quote, vote for Shayna Harper for cheerleader. He said, I thought it was a good idea because most kids couldn't afford them. Wanda thought it rulers? was like, right. number two pencils. <laughs> Not number I one. Thought, I thought she moved her to a nicer school. No, she took her out of private school to go to oh, public to go to, school. Oh, that's right. I had it backwards in my head. Squad? I think the private school probably didn't have a cheerleading squad. And so his idea was these kids would be so grateful to receive the rulers they could have never put on their own that they would vote Shayna onto the No, his school. idea was subliminal messaging. You read vote for Shayna Harper Every time each you time, you're like, in the voting box, you're like, who should I vote for? I don't know. Shayna Hava. Okay. I'm sold. Sounds like a great strategy. I mean, why do people put signs in their yard? Yeah, that's the same thing. They're so happy to have a sign. No, it's because they're subliminal messages. They couldn't afford their own sign, and somebody gave them that one. (laughs) They're like, oh, thank you. I think that's how it works. My sign, my yard's been empty. Wanda thought it was a good idea, too, and offered to split the cost with him. Anxious and excited, she called him every day until the supplies arrived. Oh, dear God. Then, when the campaign began, she took them to school, and later that day, Tony, ex-husband, received a call from his ex-wife, who was very upset. Oh, no. They're not going to let me do this, she told him. Like, we're not allowed to give out the rulers? No, the, handout, the handouts did not comply with the school election code. Rules that Wanda would have been familiar with, according to Tony. But didn't Verna give out candies? The vice principal confiscated the rulers. With the, support, with the support of the cheerleading sponsor. When Wanda continued to pass the rulers out a few days later, a meeting was called at the school. The sponsor asked the parents of the cheerleading candidates to attend. One member of the group was Verna Heath. Afterward, Shana was disqualified. 
because of the ruler incident. Oh, so Sheena. Oh, should I put her back? When Wanda learned of the decision, she was mortified. Shortly afterwards, Shayna told her father that she didn't want to be a cheerleader anymore. Oh, well, yeah, mom's ruining it for her. But Wanda wasn't ready to quit. Mm. Wanda was so distraught at this time. It was the fall of 1990. Oh, bringing it all back in from that segue. Shortly after Gertie died. Yeah. And the the cheerleader tryouts weren't scheduled until March of 1991. So she was... Um, a little early, but she was obsessed. So, just to make sure that you understand what's happening at this time, let's say it's like September of 1990. Shayna has been disqualified from the tryouts. Wanda is not quite, um, she disagrees. Yeah. I think denial. Um, she got a job at the school to try and win over some uh some people i'm sure that everybody who worked at school loved that yeah she was kind of just like shane is pretty cool isn't she the most obnoxious mom gets a job working with you you'll be happy to know that that didn't work mm. and when she found that that wasn't working she decided to uh, meet up with her former brother-in-law terry harper oh boy she wanted him to hire a hitman to kill verna maybe amber well, you know, gotta cover your bases. Yep. She drove to Terry's trailer, picked him up to talk, then drove to a nearby convenience store. Terry later said that Wanda was behaving normally. She told him that she wanted two people taken care of, and she didn't care how. Behaving normally, just wanted some murder. Terry told her, quote, I don't do anything like that, and I don't <laughs> know anyone who would do a 13-year-old child. I wonder why she thought he would. Why she was like, I bet Terry will kill people for me. I'll let you know. Okay. Wanda said that she would get back to him. So, this is a conversation. Hey, I got two people that I need taken care of. And Terry's like, I don't know any, I I won't kill her. And I don't know anybody who would kill a 13 year old. And she's like, we'll get back to you. (laughs) Thank you for the rundown. Love this drive. Talk about a miscommunication. Christmas of that year, Wanda passed along a message to Uncle Terry. Terry was to call Wanda. Wanda wanted to speak to him again about, you know, possibly murdering one or two people. Yeah. Terry, a little background on him. He was a construction worker, and he had been married several times and had been charged with several misdemeanors, like drunk driving. He was described as rough around the edges, according... and. And Tony's attorney, so Tony, I know it's confusing, Tony and Terry. Yeah. Brothers. Tony was married to Wanda. Terry, brother-in-law, maybe knows people who could murder people. Yeah. Tony's attorney described Terry as being unlucky. Lots of rain hitting him. So, like, when it rains, it pours on Terry. However. <laughs> Terry. In the fall, he's got a funnel above him. Yeah. He's got an umbrella. However, in the fall of 1990, unfortunately for Wanda, Terry decided to quit cussing, drinking, and going to clubs. Oh, that's not going to help her. He put his faith in the Lord. Oh. Yeah. He obviously didn't tell Wanda, because she was like, hey, I know you've been to, like, jail. Know anybody who murders people? So, Terry, instead of helping Wanda, decided to report that all, all of her requests, report all that, 
to the Harris County Sheriff's Department. Probably a good plan. Yeah. Police found the story to be a little hard to believe. Mm. They didn't just brush him off, though. Detectives asked Terry to wear a wire and re- record phone conversations with Wanda. Over the next three weeks, any doubt detectives had about what Wanda might be doing completely vanished. Terry told Wanda that he found a murderer. He quoted her $2,500 to kill Verna and 5000 to kill Amber. Mm. This was too much money for Wanda. Yeah. She Wait, spent all her money much, on rulers. How much for Verna? Verna is 2500 Amber's 5 k It's The price is double if you want to kill a 13-year-old. Right. Yeah, okay. that's fair. It's not like a go but, and get one half off. Yeah, Wanda had spent all her money on rulers, so... She could only afford one murder. Oh, no. Shucks. Who's she gonna choose? Well, she figured that killing Verna, because it's cheaper, would leave Amber too devastated to compete. Uh, she's probably not wrong. Or what, what, what if it motivated her? I was gonna say, what if it completely backfired? <laughs> and Amber was like, I have to I'm do gonna this dedicate my, mom. my life to my mom. Cheer my heart out. So then Wanda was like, all right, I'll just take the 25000 for Wanda, Verna, please. So Wanda and Terry made met up to exchange the dough. Wanda handed a pair of diamond earrings to Terry as like money. Yeah. And the next day she was arrested. Nice. The first trial, the key witness or the key evidence was Terry's testimony, as well as tapes provided by Terry. So like Pretty good evidence, I would say. <laughs> Imagine finding out that one of your kid's classmates' mom tried to hire a hitman. To kill you. <laughs> and maybe Because your, your kid was good at sports. Yeah. <laughs> the defense argued that Holloway's ex-husband, Tony Harper, had conspired with his brother to frame Holloway. Oh, sure. The defense pointed to the divorce in 1980 and the ensuing custody battle over their children. Terry's estranged wife took the stand. Marie- Marla LaRue Harper testified that Terry had said he was going to get Holloway to say things to help Tony win custody of their children. Oh, well, obviously this was the way to do it. Marla testified that Terry had beaten her to keep her quiet. Joel sounds like she has a big mouth. <laughs> Holloway was convicted of solicitation of capital murder and was sentenced to 14 years in prison. The conviction was overturned. Oh, when it was discovered that one of the jurors was on probation for a drug-related felony and shouldn't have been allowed to serve. So it's one of those things where it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Prior to the start of the second trial, Holloway pleaded no contest and her new lawyer negotiated a plea deal. On September 9th, 1996, shortly after Bailey was born, Holloway was sentenced to 10 years in prison with a fine of $10,000. She received probation on March 1st, 1997, after serving six months of her sentence. Good behavior, She was to serve the remaining nine and a half years on probation oh and God. complete 1,000 hours of community service. On October 2nd, 1994, so we're going back in time, Holloway settled a, a civil suit filed by the Heath family. I guess they didn't enjoy, you know, hits being taken out against them. She agreed to pay a total of $150,000 to the victims. $70,000 would go to Verna and her husband. $30,000 would go to the Heath children. And $50,000 would go to cover the legal expenses of the case. So, like, 
This case became the subject of two TV movies and a book. Fun. In February 2012, Shana Widener broke her silence and told Good Morning America that when it all happened, it wasn't talked about in my family. We didn't discuss it. It was like it didn't happen. It was just put on the back burner like nothing had happened. Shana went on to describe her relationship with her mother. We do not have a very close relationship. We don't have a mother-daughter relationship where you sit around and gossip. During the interview, I guess Shana was asked if she plans to follow in her mother's footsteps with her own sons because Shana is quoted as saying, obviously I veer away from being a stage mom. I think I've learned that lesson. My sons participate in football and one of my sons didn't want to play anymore and I was okay with that. If it's not fun, I think parents should take that into consideration. If they're not having fun, then try something different. It's not worth it. Sounds healthy. So it sounds like Shayna turned out to be a good person. Yeah. Despite her mother. That should be a TV show called Despite Her Mother. Oh, I might have my segue. All right, I'm going to finish off our Mother's Day episode by telling you guys about Diane Downs. Terrible segue. Okay, everybody ready? Yep. No. Speaking of murder. Oh. I'm going to tell you guys about Diane Downs. Excellent segue. No. Right. Yours is better. I know, because I actually had something related. Yeah. And hers is just murder. Out, turning out the obvious. Murder. Well, you're going to be real shocked when there's murder in mine then. <laughs> okay, ready? Yeah, so, um, she was born Elizabeth Diane Downs in August 1955 in Phoenix, Arizona, mm-hmm. to Wes and Willadine Fredrickson. Yes. Um, in during the trial that after the events that I'm going to tell you guys, um. Diane claimed that her father molested her when she was 12. This was the first time that this has brought brought up and there wasn't any real diving into it because it was seen as kind of like a an excuse kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um her parents were very strictly conservative and so they and um Diane butted heads when she got a little bit older. In high school she dropped Elizabeth, her first name and just started going by Diane. She met Steve Downs, who she would eventually marry, at Moon Valley High School. I also think that's a cool name for a high school. Um, her parents disapproved of their relationship, but that did not stop them. I was going to say, if anything, it probably made it better. Yeah. Um, after she graduated high school, she attended Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in Orange, California. But after her first year, she was expelled for promiscuity, which oh. they're not thrilled about at a Baptist Bible College. They're not, like, down for that? Yeah. No, they're... They weren't thrilled about it. So she moved back in with her parents. Um, in On November 13th, 1973, she ran away from home and married Steve. In 1974, they had their first daughter, Christy Ann. In 1976, they had their second daughter, Cheryl Lynn. And in 1979, they had their son, Stephen Daniel, who went by, they called him Danny. Is it running away when you're an adult? I think that's just called moving out. (laughs) She left home and married Steve. Um, In 1980, so one year after Danny was born, they got divorced. This is because mainly because Steve suspected that Danny was not his and was a product of an affair. Yes, he didn't have like hard evidence she had had an affair. He just felt strongly that she had and that Danny was not his son. So they were divorced in 1980. Can I ask a question? Um, did she have multiple marriages at all? 
this is the one and only. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so breaking the mold. Yeah, not fitting in. With no. No. She's the odd man Except out. for the murder. Well. Um, so those were her three kids that she had with Steve. Um, she did have another child, but as a surrogate. She acted as a surrogate and gave birth in 1982 to a baby girl. <clears throat> um, she worked for USPS in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Okay? So just kind of a quick background there on Diane Downs. Um, shortly before the events of May 19th, 1983, Cheryl Lynn, their middle daughter, told a neighbor of her grandparents that she was afraid of her mother. Well, that's not good. Yeah. So, May 19th, 1983. Diane drove to Mackenzie Willamette Hospital in Springfield, Oregon. When she got there, Cheryl was dead in her car. She had all three kids in her car. Cheryl was dead. The other two children were also shot. Danny was paralyzed from the waist down. And Christy had had a debilitating stroke. Diane had been shot in the left forearm. She said that a man tried to carjack her on a rural road that night. She was heading home from a friend's house and decided to take the long way to sightsee. Um... After 9 p.m. at night, around 10 p.m., yes, around 10 p.m., she saw a man in the road who was flagging her down. So, of course, she pulled over and got out. He was a bushy-haired stranger. Hold on. She pulled over and got out? And got out of her vehicle to talk to the bushy-haired stranger. On a rural road. The windows didn't work. I wrote on this bullet point, pulled over and got out. Come on. (laughs) He demanded the keys to her car. She refused. Mm-hmm. They fought, and he shot her in the arm, then opened the driver's door and shot all three of her kids. At this point, she pretended to throw her keys in a bush, and when he went to look, she jumped in the car and raced to the hospital. Oh, what a sneaky snake. Yes, there were immediately problems with Diane's story. What are you talking about? I know it's shocking that this might not be what actually happened. I don't might. believe you. We'll see if I can sway you. Okay. Um, so the investigator, Doug Welch, this was his first homicide investigation. Oh, did he think like, wow. I feel like this is a good one to get as your first case. Like it's like a, a pretty easy one? Yeah, I think so. Because it's like, how many holes can you poke through the story? I don't understand what you guys are talking about. This seems like open shut. There's a You're... drifter going around shooting Women and their children. I believe her. Why would she lie? You know what, right? She's a survivor. She's an inspiration. She should go to schools and talk to children. Her children were bleeding out in her car and she... Drove to the hospital. Immediate medical attention. She pretended to throw her keys as a distraction for this man. It worked. She should have just jingled them. That probably would have distracted them too. Like a little baby. Do you think she did the thing where, like, you know, and, like, you throw a ball at your dog, but, like, you hold on to it and you just, like... Absolutely. How else would she have pretended to throw him away? So, by the end of Doug Welch's interview with her at the hospital that night, he knew she was lying. What? I know you're still confused about that, but let me tell you. I'm still on Team Diane. A couple of questions he had for her that she couldn't really give him an answer for. One was, why are you going sightseeing at nighttime? The moon is so bright. Yeah, stargazing. Another is why would you stop for a stranger when you have your children in the car? Yes. Anytime, but especially when you have your children in the car. Because she is 
helpful. Mm-hmm. He um, flagged her down for help. Investigators and hospital personnel were immediately suspicious because she was very calm upon arriving to the hospital and discussing what had happened. It's She's really big shock. into meditation. Yeah. She was um, doing meditation the whole way. As soon as she arrived at the hospital, she called a man named Robert Knickerbocker. Oh, I love Yes, who is a former colleague in Arizona. Let me tell you why he comes into play. He is a former colleague from Arizona. He is married. While she was working with him in Arizona, they had an affair. Um, However, he told her he had no interest in being a father, and he broke things off. When investigators contacted him during this investigation, he said that after he broke things off, Diane had stalked him. And he felt that she would be willing to kill his wife for them to be together. So he was very relieved when she left for Oregon. He reconciled with his wife, and he and his wife were fine. He was glad that Diane was out of the picture. So when she got to the hospital, dead kid in the car, kid paralyzed, kid having a stroke, obviously she had to call Robert Knickerbocker. Who who are you going to call? Knickerbocker! Then, oh, Billy and the Bull. Okay. Then, when she went to visit Christy for the first time in her hospital room... Now, Christy couldn't speak because of the stroke. um, But she showed fear, and her heart rate increased dramatically when Diane came into her room. Probably with excitement. Hmm? Maybe it was pain. Yeah, you know. Um, There were some forensic problems. There was no blood spatter on Diane or on the driver's side of the car. There was also no gunpowder residue on the driver's door or on the interior door panel. It sounds like you want her to be guilty of something. I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible. She's railroading her. Yeah. Something else that they thought was interesting. Um, you know, she had said she got in the car and raced to the hospital because they'd all been shot. Witnesses saw her driving five to seven miles per hour. She doesn't have speed. You know what's worse than a gunshot wound to the head? A car accident. Oh. That doesn't help anybody. Mm-hmm. So she was driving so slowly because she was meditating and calming herself down. She was soothing the children. The um, <laughs> bullets Singing were from <laughs> the bullets were from a twenty-two caliber handgun. Uh, Steve Downs, her ex-husband, and should be her lawyer. Yeah, you're doing a great I think job. I would do great. Her ex-husband Steve Downs and Robert Knickerbocker told investigators that Diane owned a 22 caliber handgun. You need to stop um, saying his name. It's Knickerbocker. It's just silly. And they discovered that she had bought this gun when she was living in Arizona. They never found the gun, but they did find unfired casings in her home with extractor markings from the gun used in the carjacking. Um, if anything, that just proves people. her innocent. People kill people. Yeah. That's true. The question is, who was the person? How common are twenty-two caliber guns? Yeah, I mean, these casings had been in the gun that was used in the shooting. That could mean anything. Yeah, I feel like you don't know what you're talking about at all. You guys are so good at this. (laughs) Um, Less than a month after this happened, while her children were still in the hospital, she started giving TV interviews. Um, Doug Welch. She these needs are... emotional support, ladies. They Doug... haven't found the person who did it, so she's asking the public. She's a victim of a crime, and two of her children are clutching on to life. She just wants to Peace bring the help. person to justice for her children who ruined her life and her babies. So 
Um, talking about her interviews, Doug Welch, the investigator, said, quote, she didn't know when to keep her mouth shut and described her interviews as verbal vomit. She's distraught. Her children are biased. Here's a quote from one of her interviews. She said, why would I have taken my kids to the hospital? Wouldn't I have made sure they were dead and then cried crocodile tears? That's insane to think that I would do such a thing and then bring the witnesses in against myself. That's crazy. Yeah, but also, like, bringing them to a hospital is a lot easier than, like, making three graves and burying them Are you not on her side anymore? No, I'm just saying, the other side. It's, like, it's a lot of work digging, and what time of year was this? May. In Arizona? Mm -hmm. So, like... No. Oh, where are we? Hold on. (laughs) Oregon, Oregon. We're in Oregon. So, like, pretty... A hard land. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I wouldn't want to dig, yeah. especially, like, when my kids are shot and dying, like, obviously, take them to the hospital. Yeah, just drive slow and hope they die on the way. I'm, like, I five to seven miles per hour, maybe. Was this, like, prompted by people, like, accusing her of being guilty, or did she just say, I didn't do it? No, she would just start saying, you can find the interviews online, a lot of them. Um, she would just talk. I don't want to. <laughs> um, a reporter who was covering the story at the time, Ann Bradley Yeager, I think, said it was as if she thought if she kept talking enough that you would believe her. Mm. Um, while investigating, investigators, I feel like I'm saying that word a lot, found s- secret diaries that showed Diane's obsession with Robert Knickerbocker and her beliefs that the only way she could be with him is if she didn't have children because he told her he didn't want to be a father. I see. I think that's a stretch. So it's his fault. Sure. On February 28th, that's my mom's birthday, 1984, nine months months after this happened, she was arrested, um, charged with one count of murder, two counts attempted murder, and criminal assault. I think that's um, excessive. Mm. So the trial started in May, oh. 1984. Mm. When the trial started, Diane Downs was pregnant. Um, she said, here's her quote. Oh boy. I got pregnant because I miss Christy and I miss Danny. Oh, the other two kids did not die. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got pregnant because I miss Christy and I miss Danny and I miss Cheryl so much. I'm never going to see Cheryl on Earth again. And I just, you can't replace children, but you can replace the effect they give you. And they give me love. They give me satisfaction. They give me stability. They give me a reason to live and a reason to be happy. And that's gone. They took it from me. But children are so easy to conceive. Um. She chose a mailman (laughs) who covered her mail route, seduced him. Convenience. Got is, pregnant. The prosecution is, believed she did it to get pity from the jury. Is male root uh euphemism? A euphemism for something? No, he was a postal worker. <laughs> Wasn't didn't she work for the post office? She did in Arizona when she um worked with Robert Nicholson. So we were in Arizona. She started in Arizona. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um her whole sentence about getting pregnant is very like disturbing. It's they're for me. Yeah. They give me love. I like how I feel. That's not from what having kids children. Do. I also right. feel like you can't replace them, you can replace the effect. To people who have trouble conceiving. Mhm. Oh yeah. Children are so easy to conceive, so I'm just She um ended up giving birth to a baby girl 10 days before sentencing, between verdict and sentencing, and the baby was adopted out. Oh, yeah. Why? 
Did they think that she wasn't a suitable mother? I think jail's a rough place to raise a baby. That is not true. Bane was raised in jail. Okay. And look at what he's gone on to accomplish. He's a leader and a fighter. Survivor. Yeah. Inspiration. The lead prosecutor was a man named Fred Huggy. Huggy? Huggy. Could be Huggy. Knickerbocker! I meant to look it up first and I forgot, so I'm going to call him Fred. Oh, Fred. Um, the prosecution's argument was Downs knew that Knickerbocker did want children, so she killed hers to be with him. And she then was not pregnant again because... For pity from the jury. Yeah, but like... What was the plan? Once she got off, kill the kid off again, or probably they're also super easy to die, kill apparently. Well, I mean, she got one out of three, so not that great. Psychiatrist diagnosed Diane with narcissistic, histrionic, and antisocial personality disorders. They described her as a deviant sociopath and had a said she had a tendency toward manipulative and attention seeking behavior. If you can believe that, on what basis? Yeah. She was giving interviews to plead for justice. The uh, trial was going well anyway, but their star witness was Christy, who took months to recover her ability to speak, but eventually did. And she said that Diane pulled over to the side of the road, shot all three of the kids, and then shot herself. And that cinched it for the prosecution there. She would have done it if she shot herself, but... I'm very interested to know what the defense said to that. (laughs) Probably that Christy had been wounded and, like, had been shot in the head and couldn't, Um, like, didn't know what had happened. She didn't know what she was talking about. So, um, she was found guilty and, like I said, between verdict and sentencing, she gave birth to a baby girl who was adopted out. She was sentenced to life plus 50 years at Oregon Women's Correctional Center. But... On July 11th, 1987, she escaped from prison. Okay, I used to think it was, like, hard to escape from prison. But it seems like everybody. Everyone can do it. Diana, some guy on the news the other day. There were, there were, I saw something on the news the other day about three inmates having escaped prison. And then who, who was the, um, serial killer? Ted Bundy? He escaped like three times. Yeah. Well, because they they um, they didn't watch him in the courtroom. Like, because at one point he was left to like take a phone call in a separate room. Yeah, sure. And the bailiff wasn't with him, and then he just like jumped out of a two story building. Yeah, but like I always thought that it was like hard. I think that there are some things they put up as precautions that they think will be enough that people. Are if they're desperate enough are willing to deal with. For example, Diane Downs climbed an 18-foot razor wire fence. And I think that they like to assume a lot of people wouldn't be willing to do that. Yeah. But then there are some who would. There was a 14-state manhunt for her while she was missing. So she escaped on July 11th. July 21st, she was found with another inmate's husband. That's such a rude thing to do. <laughs> We'd be so mad if you were the other She's inmate. She's gonna get, like, shanked in the... Yeah, she got five I'd additional years for the escape. Well, at this point, she was actually moved to Jersey. New Jersey Department of Corrections. Ooh. Clinton Correctional Facility for Women. This is because... I did this a little bit um, backwards. But in, in 1984, which is when the trial happened, Fred, the prosecutor, adopted her two kids who survived. 
he and his wife adopted the surviving kids. I feel like that's getting too close to your case. So, um, when she escaped while they were looking for her for those 15 days or whatever it was, he was terrified that she was going to come for the kids. So, when they found her, he made the argument that it's not safe for her to be in Oregon Mm -hmm. in case she escapes again. And they were like, okay. And moved her to Jersey as far as they could get her from Oregon. I feel like they could just make it harder for her to escape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, However, she was moved around a couple more times. In 94, she was transferred to California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. 2010, she was moved to another one in California, Valley State Prison for Women in Chowchilla, California. Uh, It says that it was changed to an all-male facility in 2013, and I don't know where she was moved to after that, but she was moved again. She probably would have loved to be in that male facility. Um, So her parole hearings... At every parole hearing, she has maintained her innocence. Um... These are fun. So a quote from her says, Over the years, I have told you and the rest of the world that a man shot me and my children. I have never changed my story. Quote from District Attorney Douglas something. Douglas. Quote, Downs continues to fail to demonstrate any honest insight into her criminal behavior. Even after her convictions, she continues to fabricate new versions of events under which the crimes occurred. She alternately refers to her assailants as a bushy-haired stranger, two men wearing ski masks, or drug dealers and corrupt, corrupt law enforcement officials. So pretty much just anyone. That- yeah. So when she said, I've never changed my story, she was wrong. Uh, she's been, she was denied parole at her 2008 hearing, her 2010 hearing, and her 2020 hearing. Um, she will be eligible again in, I think it was, I don't remember. Yeah. Don't so Fred adopted her two kids. Um, Christy has a speech disability as a result of the stroke that she had, but she is grown married with two children of her own. When she had the baby before sentencing, she named the baby. When when it was adopted out, the baby's name was changed. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's Diane Downs, the woman who killed, tried to kill all three of her children so she could be with a married man who didn't want her and also didn't want the kids. I know why I think that it's so hard to escape prison because I think prior to like me knowing that people escaped prison on a regular basis, I watched the movie um, Shawshank Redemption and kind of thought that if you wanted to escape, you would need to like dig a hole in a wall with a spoon and then climb through a sewer. Not scale a sharp fence? No, or jump out a two-story window. I don't know. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We certainly had some murderous moms on the agenda here. Mm-hmm. Happy Mother's Day. Yours was the only one that, like, attempted to kill her own kids. Yeah. It was one-third successful. Yeah. Alright, cool. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I did. That was fun. This Thank was you. a fun episode. Yeah. Um, We're off in the beginning. Yeah, but we kind of powered um, through. I want to say happy Happy's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to everybody who is a mother. Um, and a special Happy Mother's Day to our mom, and Cindy. Alrighty, well, well, that was sinister, and we were sarcastic, and we hope you keep listening. Follow our Instagram at sinister underscore and underscore sarcastic for show updates. And we also post each episode with some photos. 
We are always looking for new, interesting show ideas, so if you have any folklore, true crime, or mysterious cases for us to cover, please feel free to DM, DM us on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying the show and want to purchase some merch to show your support, you can find a link on our Instagram. <laughs> <laughs>